Hello everyone, I'm Jen Dean, and this is The Gardenia Project. Last month, we released a podcast about the COVID pandemic. It was many people's voices and what they had experienced, how they were coping, and what they had spent their time doing. Hearing from so many people made me feel less alone, maybe even a little less crazy, <laughs> during those early days of the lockdown. There were two stories that we were sent in April for the original podcast that really stood out to my producer and I. We decided to pull those two and create a standalone podcast. They're very different from each other, but they both highlight how this virus has changed all our lives. We wanted you to hear their whole stories, so here they are. Our first story comes from Sean Byrne, who lives in Northamptonshire in the UK. There's not much for me to really say, except his story is sobering. Here's Sean. So who would have thought it? A few months ago, February, March, uh, a friend of mine in northern Italy posted a picture of loads of army trucks and she says, take this shit seriously. And you're like, okay, why well, is the army being drafted in to help with the coronavirus outbreak? And then you find out it's because the coffins are all in the back of the army trucks because the morgues are overfilled it's, yes, it's a scary image. I just didn't think it would probably affect me like the way it did. I can remember at the time that we as the United Kingdom, we seemed to be reacting very slowly to the outbreak. Now, when we did act, life changed as we know it. It's like we're in a film. It's like we're constantly being played in a film, kind of only see this stuff on movies and never really thought it was going to happen. You knew it was a possibility, but never really, never entered your mind that it was going to happen. My mum, growing up as kids, she was the one that was constantly going to work, working full time, you know, looking after us, me and my two sisters. She was always happy-go-lucky and uh, always there to help. She was constantly busy, never sat down, never. There was always something for her to do. She was just a typical hard-working mum. My dad was like in and out of jobs, could take being told what to do all the time. The money he did have, he spent in the pub. But my mum was the strong one. And then her last job, she um, messed her back up. And she had to have a back operation which failed. And then from then on, it was a spiral. She's had renal failure, diabetes. She was having leg ulcers that were constantly putting her in hospital because she was getting sepsis. Especially for the last 12 months, she spent most of her time in hospital. My mum's been ill for some time. And then the last 12 months was just really difficult for us all. She um, she came out of hospital 
and we were all starting to wear face masks at the time and we were told by a doctor that because my mum's on the vulnerable list we have to take coronavirus quite seriously in how we are around her and to limit the amount of people that visit her because we knew that if she ever got coronavirus it would be the end of her because of all the complications that she has. So I took everything I could to try and reduce getting any infections. Like, I took the decision to shave my beard off. I had a really long beard. I've had it for years. And I thought if I shave the beard off, the mask will protect me more. You know, if I gave my mum a kiss, there's nothing hidden in my beard that could potentially, you know, transform onto her. And then she had a fall. And then she had to be admitted to hospital. And that was the last time we saw her. Whilst in hospital, we were told that none of us could really see her now for the next three months, which was a massive shock. And that really upset my mum, that made her really down because she was worried. She phoned me and said, I'm worried that I won't see you guys again. And I'm like, don't be silly, mum. The amount of things that you've overcome, you're stronger than you think. I'm just trying to put on a brave face for her. And whilst in hospital, she had two... Um, coronavirus test that came back negative so we were like phew but they kept on changing her to another ward and then another ward within about three days she must have went to four different wards and we were like come on this isn't good because you know we're now finding out that there are coronavirus patients at the hospital and we're thinking the more she goes into different wards the more there's going to be a chance that she can potentially catch it And then she became a lot worse. And then we got a phone call saying that one of the family members need to come to the hospital as soon as possible. Um, they're prepared to give us 15 minutes with her. So my twin sister went. And then she phoned us up to say, Shit, Sean, mum's not very well at all. She doesn't know who I am. She didn't really recognise me. She wasn't with it. She was in and out of consciousness. She's really, really unwell. So she's had this before, kind of. So we just expected it would be something else like sepsis, an infection again. Because the coronavirus test came back, you know, clear. And then the hospital were allowing my sister to go back again. So she went back again. And this is when I turned to my wife and said, shit, I don't think my sister realised she's going back to say her goodbyes because they wouldn't have asked her to come back straight away. And then, um, yeah, and then two hours later, she uh, got the phone call that she passed away. They said a nurse was with her at the time. So she wasn't alone. I'm hoping that is true because the thought of her being alone just, oh God, that devastates me. And then they said that she's got to be tested again for coronavirus. They said that she had coronavirus-like symptoms, but 
she had two tests that came back clear. So we're like, well, it couldn't have been coronavirus then. Um, yeah, and she got tested and it came back, she was positive for coronavirus. So I have no idea what tests that she was having before, but the last final one after her death said that she had coronavirus. Which then made the next process just, oh, so difficult. Because everywhere's locked down. To get hold of people, to do things that you would normally do for a funeral on someone's death is completely different now. It's all phone calls. Um, and even then you, you struggle to get through to anybody because they're on a skeleton staff. So um, we couldn't go and visit mum in the morgue because they don't embalm bodies that have tested positive to coronavirus. So it had to be a closed casket. So we couldn't have that closure of saying goodbye to her like we did with my dad. That was really hard. And then it came down to the funeral and then you hear that all you can have is the hearse. You can't have cars with family members in it because of social distancing. It's got to be family members of the same household and there's only a maximum of 16, which is quite generous considering that there's many that are less than that. So we can only have 16 people at the funeral and even then they have to sit two metres apart within their own household. A couple of my mum's sisters and her brother, they couldn't even go to the funeral because of their health. So they couldn't even go say goodbye to their sister. This is just... It's just, it's just upsetting because she couldn't have the send-off that she wanted. It's not good to lose a parent. To lose it during these times is just bloody weird. It's just upsetting and heartbreaking. I, I just I just think that she's still in hospital because sometimes I would go days without speaking to her because she was too unwell. So I'm just thinking it's I'm going through one of those periods at the moment and I haven't mourned yet since she's passed. I just feel like I may need to sit down and just have a big sob. I can't. I mean, I miss her. I miss her so much. She was definitely a strong woman, someone I admired and loved so much. She was the strongest person that I know. And she didn't realise how strong she was. We set up a GoFundMe page. We were raising money for Awake when this bullshit is all over with. And when things start slowly getting back to normal, we're going to have one hell of a party. Sean a few days ago to check in and see how he was doing. And he was very honest. He told me that he's taken the last month off of work due to extreme anxiety. He said, quote, the thought of my mom passing away in a hospital alone has ruined me. Along with not being able to see her in the weeks before she died, I've tried so hard to come to terms with the loss of my mom during these unprecedented times, but I'm struggling. It has had a severe effect on my mental well-being. 
Thankfully, I have my great wife that's supporting me every step of the way through this recovery process. Without my wife, Rhea, I don't know how I would cope. My kids have also been great as they consume me with many hugs on a daily basis. He said, I'm sure with time, I will be a lot better. But as of now, it's not been great. He wrote, I would love to take this opportunity to thank my wife and kids for their constant love and support. They mean so much to me. I would also like to thank my work for understanding my situation and allowing me as long as I need to heal and get back to my normal self. While I'm sad to see that Sean is struggling, I really appreciated his realness. When we're dealing with loss, it's so easy to lie and say we're doing fine, when in reality, we're not. Being able to admit the truth allows us to connect. It keeps us from being isolated. So, I would like to take this moment to give you all permission to say, I'm not okay. Whether you're dealing with death, unemployment, bored at home, or separated from your loved ones, grief is real and needs to be given time and space. Our next story comes from one of those people who had to be apart from their family. Sam and her husband Al live in Westbrook, Maine, with their three-year-old daughter Stella. They both work in healthcare, Sam as a CNA or a nursing assistant, and Al is a nurse. As the pandemic was getting closer and closer to Maine, they began discussing contingency plans, as many people in the healthcare industry have had to do with their loved ones. But for Sam and Al, these precautions were especially important because their daughter Stella has cystic fibrosis, or CF for short. CF is a hereditary disease that affects the lungs and the digestive system. People with CF are born with a defective gene that causes their body to produce thick and sticky mucus, making it hard to breathe. CF starts young. Around 75% of new cases are under the age of two years old, and it can be life-threatening. Because Stella is immunocompromised, Sam and Al have had to live their lives very carefully. So the precautions that the rest of us have only started taking recently, they've been dealing with for the last three years. As you can imagine, COVID-19 has posed an additional threat to their young daughter. And so these two healthcare workers have had to adapt. Here's Sam. I feel like with most things happening these days, like no one has any idea of what's going on until it happens. (laughs) And we had been talking since I think the beginning of March because we both work in healthcare. And so we, we'd been having conversations like worst case scenario. What does that look like? Where do we go? What do we do with Stella? Because as you know, Stella has cystic fibrosis, you know, this, this underlying respiratory disease that, If she were to get coronavirus, we'd like to think that her youth would work in her favor if that were to be the case, but we really don't know what that looks like. So, you know, we had those conversations of like, what does our household look like if one of us is exposed at work? And that's where we started. And then over one weekend, 
um, Al wasn't working and he found out through Facebook that his unit got switched over and was going to be taking coronavirus patients on Monday. <laughs> and he was like, well, uh, looks like the plan has shifted and I'm going to need to stay somewhere else. So he's been out of the house since April 1st. He's staying at his dad's apartment and his dad is staying with us, Stella and I. It's been okay. Doing like mom stuff 100% of the time without having that break, that scared me the most. I think that scared Al too, because, you know, he, he will work three days in a row. And when I have to be home for three days in a row with her, that's like full 13 hour days of just being with the toddler and then to not be able to leave the house, throwing that into the mix. So, you know, even Al was like, I'm concerned about you and your mental health because that's really hard for you. You have a hard time with three days. Like imagine this. So I'll say that having my father-in-law here has been a godsend because he is just so in love with Stella and so imaginative. And he's like just an endless source of songs and games and stories and And that's actually like not my strong suit. I'm a good mom. I know that about myself, but I also know what my weaknesses are. Plus Stella loves hanging out with him and like only wants him to do stuff. So having two adults has been very, very, very helpful. That being said, this still sucks so bad. (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about what is Stella doing? Are you doing video calls and how often? How is she handling that? How are you handling it? Okay. So she's doing okay. She's doing pretty good. Like I said, she is, she's loving having her papa around. She has recognized that dad is not here. She usually makes comments like, Oh, daddy's working today. Um, and so she hasn't really had a big upsetting moment where he's not here. He's gone. And is he coming back? Nothing like that has happened because we do FaceTime throughout the day, even while he's at work, you know, he, tries really hard to call us on a break that he has um, and just to kind of check in throughout the day. He also will call, and this is like the sweetest thing because Al's so much better at bedtime than I am. So Al will call and do story time sometimes if he's not working. And so he'll stay on the phone with us and do story time. And I will say that Al's probably having the hardest time out of all of us, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, he misses her so much and me, but like really, she's just this little light being, you know what I mean? I mean, for him to be isolated and, and not even like be able to hug her or like, you know, he stopped by to pick up, you know, a couple things that he needed and he tries to make it a point not to see her because he's like, I'm not concerned that she'll come running at me. You know, she knows enough now to keep her distance. She knows that. But he's like, I'm worried about myself. Like, I can't handle seeing her and not being able to hug her. That's hard for me. I'm all right. I'm doing okay. I I certainly miss my husband, of course. We've tried to make it a point to social distance, walk across the woods and, and obviously keep our distance, not touch each other for Stella's benefit. But... It's been good, but it's hard, even like not seeing each other. Even though we talk to each other, it's still hard to kind of like jump back into things. So I'm kind of interested to see what that looks like when we do finally get to have him home. Are you working at all? So I'm not. I stopped working 
uh, about three weeks ago. I, I wanted to continue working, especially having my father-in-law here, but I really couldn't risk, you know, if it came into the facility I worked at, um, you know, then I would have to be quarantined away from Stella and then that would just leave my father-in-law with her. So that wasn't really an option any of us were really willing to do. But I will say that I, so I am a Virgo and I am somebody that really, whew, I love to feel productive and I very much look forward to to projects and working on things. And I, and I don't mind having a thousand things, but I guess when it comes to resting and downtime, like reading a book that's like not for any other reason than just enjoyment, stuff like that is difficult for me to, to accomplish without being like, oh, but I should finish this first. So I have been trying to take it easy on myself in the sense that I'm not pressuring myself to be more productive because it's really easy for me to, I've actually had to unfollow a lot of people on social media because of this, not because of them, but because of my own, honestly, it's my own. I've noticed that I've almost not even really been triggered, but I've just noticed that like something stirs up in me when I see people that typically people that don't have children that seem to be um, doing more things, right? And having this time. And and it's kind of like back and forth, right? Like I'm, there are plenty of people that are isolating by themselves, like really by themselves that wish they had, you know, someone, whether it was a child or a family member to be isolating with. And then, you know, I'm over here, I've got this child and I'm like, also like, oh my gosh, but what I would give to just be alone for just 24 hours, you know what I mean? Here's something that I miss that I didn't realize I would miss so much, and that is grocery shopping. I, I really enjoy grocery shopping, and I love going to like multiple stores in one trip. I, I love to cook, I love to bake, so I love to explore different products and try different things. And not having that ability has been very challenging for me. Um, I'm not really afraid to go food shopping or anything. I actually very much look forward to the chance that I can go every two weeks. <laughs> I, I know. I feel very confident in how I can protect myself. I am not afraid that, personally, I, I am not afraid that I will pick something up anywhere because I know how aware I am of what I touch and okay. and my surroundings. And Stella has CF, so we've always had that mentality. So to be yeah. honest, these types of protocols are not very new for me. Um, we tend to isolate in the wintertime anyways. And from a standpoint of like a parent with a child with a chronic disease, um, the awareness that people will have now moving forward about their, their germs in their personal space, I'm very grateful for because just having like a little bit more awareness about the things that you touch and then washing your hands before you, you know, touch your phone and then touch your face and then touch the airplane seat and then touch your steering wheel. And I think that's going to be really huge not just for coronavirus, but just moving forward in general when it comes to infectious disease. And I'm really proud of us for that. <laughs> I really do feel like, I feel like there is a lot of positives here. Um, I'm able to spend more present time with my child. 
I'm able to, uh, I've been able to meditate a lot more, which I, which was not happening in the beginning, but um, something that I've been very much looking forward to. And I do think that it is deepening my relationships and my connections with people that I haven't necessarily been that present with, especially like the people closest to me. And yeah. it's really given me that ability to connect and even connect with people that I haven't really connected with. You know, now we're kind of like getting together on these Zoom calls. And I think that really is a huge blessing. Like I, I've, I, as much as I crave that, that physical connection with my friends and my family, I very much have enjoyed reconnecting and rekindling those relationships virtually. I love hearing other people's stories too, because I think, at least for me, too often in my conversations, people have been really like concerned with us, and and I and I appreciate it, and I'm you know I'm so grateful that there are people that want to support us and and know that this is this is difficult. I'm not going to downplay that, but to 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 know that there are other stories and that there are other you know, scenarios. Like to me, I, I don't feel like this is that bad. There are people that are like, uh, you know, their loved ones are in the hospital and they can't see them and they yeah. can't be next to them. You know what I mean? And totally. Alan, totally. I talk about that all the time. Like, you know, yeah. whether he's with like super sick people or not so sick people, either way, it's really scary to be in the hospital and not have a loved one close by. And the closest person that like can get to you can't even touch you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're yeah. in a spacesuit. And, and so like learning and, and hearing about, it, it's difficult for all of us, but it definitely helps get that perspective and, and, and have a little bit more compassion for each other, you know. I spoke with Sam a few days ago for an update. She said things were great. Sam and Al were separated for 53 days in total. And then Al took a personal leave from work for the rest of June so their family could be together. His unit is no longer taking COVID patients and he's officially back home. Sam admits that being apart from Al was tough, both from a personal and a parenting standpoint. But Sam and Al agreed that the experience made their relationship stronger. family, our support system, is everything. Now more than ever, we need our people, whomever they may be. And yet, in many ways, we've also had to redefine those relationships. Some people lost their loved ones. Many didn't even get to say goodbye. When this pandemic is over, hundreds of thousands of people will still carry this pain with them. Sean is just one of those many. And those of us who haven't lost anyone to COVID have been separated from our loved ones. Like Sam and Al. This is a sacrifice to be sure, but one that has literally helped to save lives. Our stories are different from each other, yes, but they do have the power to bring us together. In this time of isolation and separation, 
It's more important than ever to listen to each other's stories, to see each other, to stay connected. A huge thank you to both Sean and Sam and their families for allowing us to hear their stories. A giant round of applause, as always, to my fabulous producer for the endless text messages, emails, and Vox walkie-talkie conversations that we have back and forth that eventually bring us to each new episode. Collaboration is everything in the production of this podcast. I truly could not do this without Stephanie Cohn. A huge thanks to Keith Kenneth for our theme music. And a thank you to all of you who listen, who reach out to tell us that these stories have touched your heart. We appreciate you taking the time to get in touch. Our podcast does cost money to produce, of course. So supporting us with just a few dollars a month would be greatly appreciated. You can do this on a website called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can search for The Gardenia Project there, or you can just go to my Jen Dean Photography website and to the podcast page, and there's a link. Thanks so much. Goodbye till next time.